10. Let's pray and uh, we'll go ahead and get started. Heavenly Father, good to be here this morning. As always, we pray, Lord, that you would teach, we would listen, just let your spirit guide and direct in all things. And Lord, just a lot of sickness going around. I pray you could be with those that couldn't make it this morning due to that. And Lord, for those that are here, just pray, bless us with the time to hear about what you want to say. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, we've been continuing our study here through the book of Luke. And we said a couple weeks ago when we started into Luke 10 that this chapter is all about service. In verses 1 through 16, the 70 are sent out to serve. And we talked about how sometimes you are asked to serve with people you may not want to nor like. And sometimes you're asked to go serve places that you may not want to be sent by the Lord. But the 70 are a good example of that. In verses 17 through 24, we talked about the joy of serving. How how there's a joy, this eternal joy in doing something that matters for eternity. Be it serving at church or sometimes just serving in your marriage, your spouse. That there is just joy that comes out of that. Then we had a practical example in verses 25 through 37 of the story of the Good Samaritan. Of loving and serving even our enemies in life. And then today we're going to finish with verses 38 through 42. The story of Mary and Martha and serving. I tell you, we hear a lot about Mary and Martha, so we're going to go ahead and read verses uh, 38 through 42, then we'll come back and we'll break this down. Verse 38 says, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha... You are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, which should not be taken away from her. Now, Mary and Martha here, sisters. And these one of these group of sisters that are completely different. Have you ever met a family like that, where you see two siblings, and you're like, how in the world could a set of parents produce two people that are two completely and utterly different? Mary and Martha are completely different people, as you study this and look throughout the Bible. Now, I was trying to think of words to describe them. Martha is very practical, very down-to-earth. Mary, and I don't mean this in the negative way, so don't take it that way, Mary is very emotional. And when I say emotional, I don't mean emotional like she can't control her emotions. I'm saying emotional in the sense of that she sees the emotional side of things. There's there's a great way to show the difference between them. Keep your hand here in Luke 10, because we're coming right back. But jump with me, if you will, to John 11. John 11 has a couple Mary Martha stories in there that I think are kind of interesting to talk about. John 11, please. We get a little bit more background into who Mary and Martha are. John 11, and let's go ahead and start here in verse 1. It says, So now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and his, her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with her fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now we can put this all together now. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, two sisters, one brother. Now we get a little picture into Mary here. Mary was the one that came and sat at the feet of Jesus, if you remember the story from the Bible, and dumped the expensive oil on his feet. That was where all the disciples got worked up and upset and said, does this woman even know what she's doing? She's wasting all this money on this oil, wasting it on Jesus. And Jesus said, she's the only one that gets it. So we see Mary at the feet of Jesus there, understanding who he is. That emotional connection, if you will, once again, not in a bad way, 
but of her understanding and getting who Jesus is. Now, let's figure out a little bit more about Martha. Jump ahead to verse 17. Lazarus has now died, verse 17 of John 11. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem and about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. See, Martha, even in the time of sorrow and distress, very practical. Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But verse 22, I know whatever you do, God will answer. Very practical, very down to earth. She keeps a level head no matter what the situation is. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Note Martha, practical, love-headed. She's having a theological discussion. In the midst of sorrow and sadness, her brother just died. Here's Jesus. She has this theological discussion about life and death. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into this world. Once again, straightforward, level-headed, practical. She's the one that keeps her head when everybody else loses theirs. That's Martha. Now what about Mary? Verse 28. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. Now, as soon as she heard it, she arose quickly and came to him. Note, quickly. Mary wants to go there, verse 30. But now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when she saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She's going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down in his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Stop for a second. Look at verse 32, and just look at the other verse now. Jump back, if you will, to verse 21. Martha, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 32, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary and Martha say the exact same thing, but note what happens. Martha says it, and has a theological discussion about life and death and resurrection. Mary says it. And what does she do then? Verse 33. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping. Excuse me. Verse 32. What does she do? She falls down at his feet and says it. That's the difference between Martha and Mary. Martha stands up. She's strong. She's practical. She's level-headed. Mary, I just want to be at the feet of Jesus. In fact, every time you see Mary in the Bible, guess where she's at? The feet of Jesus. Here in John 11, she is at the feet of Jesus to anoint his feet with oil. Here, later on in John 11, she's at the feet of Jesus when her brother dies. In Luke chapter 10, she's at the feet of Jesus at the meal. Mary is always at the feet of Jesus. She has that emotional connection to Christ. She has that intimate connection with Christ. And what an example that is. Martha, on the other hand, Martha's practical. Martha's level-headed. Now, Let's jump back here to Luke 10, since we got a little bit more background on him. Let's pick on Martha for a little bit. Because you have to pick on Martha for a little bit. Now, first off, verse 38, Martha welcomes them to her house. Martha's the type of person, I think, that when anybody had to get together, and the group of friends were there saying, hey, let's get together, it was already assumed that you're just going to Martha's house. That's just how it was. Did you know somebody like that? You didn't even have to really say it. You're just all going to meet at Martha's house. 
And Martha's going to have nice little cucumber sandwiches for everybody to eat. And she's going to have really good lemonade. She will always make sure your glass is full. And as soon as you're done with the plate, she'll say, I'll get that for you. And she'll get that right out of your way. And you'll just have this wonderful time at Martha's house. That's just Martha. She welcomes everybody into her house. And she's just doing all these things. And while she's doing all these things, verse 39, words Mary, she's just at the feet of Jesus. Now, Obviously, this starts to bother Martha. Verse 40, Martha was distracted. You good old King Jamesers out there says she was cumbered. See, she got so busy serving, she forgot why she was serving. She got so busy serving God, she forgot why she was even serving God. So Martha gets upset. Now, when it says right here in verse 40 that she approached him, you got to understand a little bit of the Greek here. That word approached is not just go up and tap Jesus on the shoulder and say, Jesus, when you got a second, I want to talk to you. This word approach carries a very strong, dare we say, attitude to it. This carries a strong, I'm going to come right into the conversation, I'm going to stand right in the middle of everybody, and I'm going to make my point clear. And what is her point, verse 40? Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. That's Martha. She's distracted with serving. One translation says she's distracted with her dinner. She's distracted with her idea of how it should go. See, that's the thing about a Martha. They're only happy when everybody is worshiping their way. They're only happy when everybody is serving their way. They're only happy when everybody is leading the study their way. That's that Martha personality. You're not worshiping right. You're not serving right. You're not leading right. You're just not doing it right. You're not doing it my way. That's Martha. So she approaches Jesus and she says, Jesus, don't you care? Now, we all have Martha moments. Have you ever not had a moment where you looked across and you say, why am I the only one putting effort into this? Why am I the only one caring about this ministry? Why am I the only one doing this? And maybe it's not even a church thing. Maybe it's at home. Why am I the only one working on this marriage? Why am I the only one taking care of the kids? Maybe it's at work. Why am I the only one actually working here at work? That's where that Martha comes out. And as that Martha comes out, verse 40, we get angry. We get frustrated because it's not done our way. And our response, verse 40, tell her to help me. Put yourself in this story for a second. This is Jesus, the creator of the universe, who created Martha. Martha has enough guts to tell God what to do. That's a Martha. Martha has enough guts to tell God what to do. Now, we pick on the Marthas a lot. Why? To be honest, Marthas kind of suck the joy out of serving. Now, maybe you've served with a Martha before. Boy, they'll get it done. You'll say, we need this project done at this time. That project will be done early. That project will be done under budget. That project will be done completely, probably almost perfect. But at what cost? The cost of her personal joy, your personal joy, because when you're that Martha personality, you're never really going to be happy. Or the joy of others around you, where people say, please don't let me serve with Martha. I'll serve with anybody, but not Martha. Why? Because Mary just wants to sit at the feet of Jesus and tell stories about God. Martha, she wants you out scrubbing toilets. See, that's Martha. You can never work hard enough or good enough. And the problem is the Marthas of this world look at the Marys of this world and say, you know what, if we were all Marys, 
nothing would ever get done. If we're all sitting at the feet of Jesus, who's cleaning the church? If we're all sitting at the feet of Jesus, who's taking care of these dishes? These dishes aren't going to clean themselves. That's the Marthas of this world. Now, we pick on that. Why? Because Jesus himself kind of picked on Martha a little bit. Look at verse 41, and Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha. Anytime God repeats himself like that, some translations use the phrase, verily, verily. That's a way of putting emphasis on it. So he's emphasizing the personal nature here. Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. See, Jesus even realized, Martha, let the dishes go. Martha, not everybody needs a refill right away. Martha, it's okay that a few crumbs fell on the floor. We'll we'll, we'll get it later. It's okay. See, that's what Jesus is trying to tell Martha. I love Martha's. I wish the church had a couple more Martha's. Not a lot, just a couple. Because if you get too many Martha's, it's not fun for anybody. I'll find a new church if we get too many Martha's. But Martha's do serve a role and purpose. We pick on them a lot. But once again, Martha's get things done. I'm thankful that we have a couple Marthas out here that you can say, hey, we need to get this done, and you know they're going to get it done. You know they're going to do it to the best of their abilities. You know that they're going to work diligently, and they're going to work hard on it. I appreciate that. Problem is, for their own sake, and for the sake of those that serve with Martha, they need to settle down a little bit and maybe just relax. And it's okay that some of the dishes don't get done. It's okay some of the crumbs fall on the floor. It's, it's okay. And Jesus is trying to tell Martha that. See, because look at Mary. Mary is just at the feet of Jesus. Like we said earlier in the message. Beginning of John 11, where she's at? The feet of Jesus. The end of John 11, where's Mary at? At the feet of Jesus. Where is Mary at right now? The feet of Jesus. See, that's where we're supposed to be. It's just hanging out at the feet of Jesus, listening to everything that he has to say. That's where you'll find joy and peace and contentment. Once again, put yourself back in the story. You have to choose either Mary or Martha to hang out with for the day. Who do you choose? Probably Mary. You'll have a little bit of fun. Martha will have a to-do list. But the point is, it's not that Martha's necessarily wrong. She just needs to lighten up a little bit. Now, some of you Marthas out there are saying, yeah, Mary needs to get up too. (laughs) You know, she needs to help. Look at what Jesus said, though. Look at verse 42. One thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. One thing is needed. We've been trying to teach the boys in devotions lately the difference between need and want. Because there's a lot of times in our English language we use the phrase, I need that. Yet you really don't need it. You want it. Jesus uses the word need. One thing is needed. What's the only thing you need in life? To sit at the feet of Jesus. That is the only thing you need. When you sit at the feet of Jesus, you will have joy, you will have peace, no matter what the circumstances are. That's the only thing that is needed. When you have Christ and Christ alone, all your needs have just been met. Mary got that. And look at the other phrase here. One thing is needed. Mary has chosen. There is a choice that is made. There is a choice that is made to say, I can let the dishes go, I can let the crumbs go, I can let it go that people don't worship my way, they don't study my way, they don't clean my way, they don't lead my way, I can let that go because I've just got Jesus and that's what gives me joy. Just stop for a second. 
If you're a personality and you lose a lot of joy and peace in life because other people that you know and know closely aren't doing it your way, God love you, but maybe you just need to lighten up a little bit. Because what happens is you're so focused on people not doing it your way, you're missing out on just sitting at the feet of Jesus like Mary is. See, Mary chose that. And look what Jesus called in verse 42, the good part. This is good, which will not be taken away from her. There is an eternal blessing that comes sitting at the feet of Jesus. Once again, some of you may be thinking, if we're all sitting at the feet of Jesus, nothing will ever get done. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying is Mary shows that. She chose the important thing, and her heart is revealed there. It was needed, it is good, and it won't be taken away. What a blessing that is. Now, what's the problem with that? The problem is, jump back to verse 40. Martha was distracted with much serving. Now, take out the phrase, much serving, and just put in whatever distracts you. Martha was distracted with this upcoming work week. She's got a lot of things going on. Martha was distracted with those upcoming medical test results, not knowing that what they were doing. Martha was distracted with her spouse, because her spouse isn't doing everything right. Martha's distracted with her kids, because they're making bad choices. Whatever is distracting you, then jump to verse 41. Put your name in there. Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. See, what's worrying and troubling you? There's a great phrase, and we'll get to it in a couple weeks, but it's in Luke 12, where Jesus says, don't have an anxious mind. Don't have an anxious mind. And a lot of us have that anxious mind. We just don't stop thinking about things. We just keep dwelling on stuff. We keep working on stuff. And it just keeps eating away at us. That's the Martha. She could never just simply settle down and relax. Because there was always something that needed to be done. Turn, if you will, with me to Philippians 4. Philippians 4. We just went over this passage a couple weeks ago, but it bears repeating. Philippians 4. Because we as believers have to realize there's always going to be something in our life that, one, distracts us. Two, gives us an anxious, worried mind. Boy, you just watch the news for 20 minutes and you're going to walk away in fear. You read the newspaper headlines. You'll be worried the rest of your day. There's always something that gets us anxious and worried and worked up. And part of being a Christian is to how to mentally make that choice to not let that happen. And some of you may be saying, well, it's not that easy. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Philippians 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, there's a powerful tool in our mind. When I talk about that, I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking. I'm saying that it's a powerful tool to say, what do I choose to focus on? Now, as soon as you choose to focus on the good things of God, it's a battle right then. Oh, it's a constant battle. So what's the weapons that God gives us? Verse 6, first weapon he gives us is prayer. Lord, I will give you all my fear, all my worry, all my anxiety in prayer, and then you'll replace that in peace. That's a pretty good deal. And then what does this peace do in verse 7? It guards your mind. It guards your mind. I love that phrase. Because my mind loves to wander. My mind loves to wander to, what are they thinking? What are they doing? What is going to happen? What about this? Are we able to do this? Are we able to do that? And my mind will wander everywhere. 
And God is saying here in Philippians 4, 6, prayer puts a guard around my mind to help protect that. And that's a battle. That's an absolute battle. And that's something that we need to be trained to do because we generally do not choose to have peace. We generally choose worry. Elias had something coming up recently and he had to go to the doctor to do something. And the worst thing you could ever do with Elias is tell him something's coming up. You could tell Judah something's coming up and Judah just wouldn't care. He goes to Judah world and he just lives there and he's happy. Elias will analyze and think and analyze and think. So he knew this was coming up and he was doing okay with it. Then he started thinking, well, what exactly are they going to do? What's it going to be like? What's going to happen? And now Dawn and I knew what was going on and we knew what was going to happen and we knew that there was a chance that it wasn't going to be completely pleasant. Now you have that balance there as a parent. How much do you share? Elias is awful, man. It's completely, absolutely awful, and you'll probably be scarred the rest of your life. No, that's not really good. But you can't go in and say, oh, Elias, it's like butterflies landing on your nose. It, it, there's a balance there of the truth. So we were talking to him about it, and he was getting worked up, and he came up to me in the kitchen, and he said, my stomach just doesn't feel right when I think about this. I said, that's nerves. I said, we prayed, and we prayed the verse in Isaiah. We prayed this verse in Philippians. And so as we were going to, into the doctor for everything to be taken care of, he was doing pretty good, and he said, will you come back with me? I said, sure, I'll come back with you. So I had him, and I had one of the other boys, and, and Don was home with the rest of them. So he says, so I took him back, and I put him in the chair, and he goes, will you stay with me? And I said, Elias, I would love to stay with you, but two things. They don't want me to stay with you. And number two, I got one of your brothers. I just can't leave him out there. So we prayed, gave him a hug, gave him a kiss, told him I loved him, and the last words I told to him was, when you get nervous, just pray. Because they're trying to instill into them that I'm not his security blanket. God's his peace. And what happens is too often we look to something or someone to bring us some peace in life that's not capable. And I want my boys to be trained to reach a point where they say, Dad, will you pray with me about this? Dad, will you help me give this over to the Lord? So the last words I said to him is, if you get nervous, just pray. And thank the Lord everything went fine. But we want them to be trained to do that. Because i got to be honest. A lot of times, I've trained myself to worry, to be fearful, to be anxious, to analyze, to think, to rehash. Now, look at verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That word meditate, we don't use a lot in English language. And when we do use it, it usually carries the connotation of some type of far eastern mysticism. That's not what the word meditate means. If you look this word up, this word meditate, especially back in the Old Testament, it means to growl. It means to roar. It means to mutter. It means that you're looking over the verse and you're almost mumbling to yourself, thinking on it and chewing on it. It's like when you walk into the room and you see that person by themselves and they're so engrossed into something, they're almost having a conversation with themselves. That's what that word meditate means. I'm so focused on thinking of verse 8, things that are noble, true, good, pure, lovely, etc. I'm not thinking about what's bringing me down. I'm so focused on prayer, I'm not worried about that. I'm so focused on the things of God, I'm not worried about that. Or, back to our story, I'm so focused at sitting at the feet of Jesus, I'm not worrying about what's not getting done. Now, I'll be the first one to say that is easier said than done. And I'll be the first one to say that, boy, if you just go home and you memorize Philippians 4, 6, 7, 8... Everything will just be perfect like that. No. It's tough. The mind is a battleground. The mind likes to wander. But at the same time, too, we can also say, Lord, I choose 
to focus on you. Just like Mary chose the good part. There's Jesus. And I have two options. I can sit at his feet, or I can walk around distracted, worried, anxious, worked up. Martha chose the one, Mary chose the other. God help us to sometimes let the dishes go and sit at the feet of Mary. Sit at the feet of Jesus like Mary. You know, God help us sometimes to let those things go at work, at home, at church, that get us all worked up, and just sit at the feet of Jesus. See, don't you think Mary probably didn't even notice the dishes? Mary didn't even notice that, uh, you know what, John and Philip were out of lemonade. She probably didn't even notice. She just wanted to sit with Jesus. Boy, Lord, help us to do that. Turn with me, if you will. Last verse about this. Isaiah. It's going to be Isaiah 26, please. Once again, we don't want to completely pick on the Marthas. We're thankful for the serving hearts and attitudes of Marthas that get things done. But Mary is the one that Jesus said, did what was needed, chose the good part, and it won't be taken away. Mary is the one that's always at the feet of Jesus as you're going to Isaiah 26. It is really easy to get worked up at home, at work, at church, just in life. It's easy to go to those Martha moments. It really is. Help us to have more Mary moments sitting at the feet of Jesus. How do you have a Mary moment? Well, you look at the ways that God has given you. When you have that time of prayer, that's a time where you're sitting at the feet of Jesus. When you have that time in the Word, you're sitting at the feet of Jesus. When you have that time of worship, you're sitting at the feet of Jesus. Part of the reason why we're doing communion this morning is that's sitting at the feet of Jesus. I heard a pastor say one time, the closest we can ever get to Jesus on the cross is communion. The closest we can get. And that's a moment of sitting at the feet of Jesus. And that's why it's so important when you get up in the morning, have that time alone with the Lord. When you get stressed at work, have that time alone with the Lord. When you get stressed in your marriage, in your life, in your relationships, have that time alone with the Lord. Just ask yourself, am I being a Martha about this? Getting worked up about things I should let go? Or am I being a Mary and I'm just going to sit at the feet of Jesus? We can learn a lot from these two gals. Now, in Isaiah 26, most of the time I don't have you turn for just one verse. But this is such a powerful verse. This is a verse you mark, you underline, you, you, you write it on a sticky note, you memorize it, you put it wherever you need to. Look at this verse, Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Oh, that's a powerful verse. One more time. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. What a deal. I get perfect peace, complete peace. How? Verse 3, because I choose my mind to be focused on the Lord, and I choose to trust Him. That's a verse you mark, you underline, you put it on your fridge, you put it in your car, and when you feel those Martha moments in life coming up, and you're getting worked up about this, you're getting bothered about that, you're distracted about this, you're worried about this, you're anxious about that, Isaiah 26.3. Keep going back to that, keep meditating on that verse. That is your sitting at the feet of Jesus verse. We all have Martha moments. We all do. Help us to have more Mary moments. Sitting at the feet of Jesus and seeing what the Lord has in store for us. Because here's the thing. We appreciate the Marthas that get things done. We truly do. But at the same time, you sometimes see these Marthas, their joy level just start to shrink. 
and your heart goes out to them. Because you want them to have the full joy of just resting at the feet of Jesus. You really do. It's finding that balance between the Mary and the Martha part of you and saying, okay, Lord, it's all about you sitting at your feet. And one more time, just remember what the end of Luke 10 says. One thing is needed, being with Jesus. Mary has chosen the good part. We choose that good part to be with Christ, which will not be taken away from her. You will be blessed. You will be blessed. Now, once again, part of the reason why we wanted to finish with communion here, because I'm willing to bet some of you have come in here today and you are troubled. You are distracted. You are worried. You are anxious. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a work situation. Maybe it's a health situation. Maybe it's a marriage situation. Maybe it's a life situation. Maybe it's a kid's situation. But there's a part of you where your mind wants to wander to that and have that distraction and that worry and that anxiety. And to be quite honest, you may have heard this message and you say it's too simple. Just sit at the feet of Jesus and everything's fine and dandy. You know, one of my favorite passages, and I've shared this with you numerous times, it says in Corinthians, the simplicity of Jesus. Sometimes it is. Lord, I just want to focus on you. That's why we want to finish with communion. Is to say, Lord, I want to give you this anxious mind. Lord, I want to give you this worry, this fear, this concern. I want to give this to you. And we're going to have the kids come in here in just a little bit. And as the kids come in, I just want to remind you, you know, if your kids are coming in, we have what out here at Harvest is called an open communion policy, meaning we don't have church membership. So communion is open to anybody who has come and accepted Christ as their Savior. And also parents, as the kids come back in, we leave it up to you that if your child is old enough to understand and grasp what communion is, if we'd like them to partake of it with you. But before we get to that point, there's a passage here in Corinthians about communion that we need to read. It says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. There comes a time where we have to examine ourselves before we partake of communion. Where we stop and say, okay, Lord, this communion represents you and what you did on the cross. So I want to examine myself. If you're saved, it's a great opportunity for you to give those fears, worries, concerns over to the Lord. It's a time to give those areas of darkness and sin over to the Lord. It's a time for you to say, Lord, my life is your life, and I'm giving it over to you. If you're not saved, this is a wonderful opportunity to truly know who Jesus is. About how this bread represents his body that took the punishment for your sin and my sin. That we deserved hell, but he took the punishment and paid the debt for us. About how the cup represents the blood, the precious blood of Christ that was what paid the sin for us. Because we're all sinners deserving hell. But then Jesus, through that, gave us entrance into heaven. It's a great opportunity for us to say, okay, Christ, I understand this now. I get this. And I want that sacrifice that you paid for me. I want that. So what we're going to do here is we're going to take a moment and we're going to do exactly what this passage says. Examine ourselves. Go to the Lord and say, Lord, we give you those things we struggle with and we pray that you'd be with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as your word says here, we're supposed to examine ourselves before we partake of this. Lord, if there's somebody here who has never known you, I pray that right now you're showing yourself strong to them. Who you are and how, Lord, you died for them. Lord, if there's somebody here who knows you and they've just been moving backwards instead of forwards, 
Lord, show them the areas of their life that are weak, the areas that are bringing them down, and give them the strength through your spirit to fight through that. If there's somebody here today, Lord, that is just struggling with that fear, that worry, that anxiety, be it life, be it work, be it school, be it marriage, be it health, Lord, show them the perfect peace that you give. Help us, Lord, to not walk in fear and worry, but to walk in wisdom and faith, Lord, in all ways. Let us go to the Lord privately. Let's go to the Lord quietly on our own and give Him those areas we struggle with.